This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? All of you wives, we men, we ask a lot. We ask for strength, food at home, a house clean. Welcome to the Victory Project. We're all here because we believe in the mission. What are we doing? Changing the world. What are we doing? Changing the world. That's right. What do you think? they're really doing out there. BFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn and Arvin. And we have now arrived at the second movie of our Florence Pugh doubleheader this week. So we started off yesterday by reviewing The Wonder. Quite bleak. 1800s, nurse, you know, kind of... Very depressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today we are moving on to Don't Worry Darling, which is set in an uncertain period of time. But, you know, um, it has a completely different look, completely different feel. Um, also a psychological thriller because it's kind of Florence Pugh's specialty at this point in time. Uh, directed by Olivia Wilde. Lots of controversy. Let's go. So I'm going to be upfront. Um, I had no idea what this movie was about before watching it. Like I heard about it. Um, I didn't watch any trailers. I saw a couple of posters, didn't read anything. I knew there was backstage drama, but I didn't really care. Um, so I thought this was a romantic drama, like marriage story or, or something, something in that in that league. Um, so I loved it. I wasn't expecting it to be the way it was. Um, I didn't know it was a completely different genre that I was getting into. So that that initial experience for me was good. Like I loved the movie, um, but I cannot say that the movie holds up well after you start thinking about it. Um, it's got a bunch of plot holes, a bunch of tonal issues. Um, so yeah, like enjoyed it, but it doesn't hold up once you start prodding and poking and, and dissecting it. I have a slightly different experience because I, I knew it was coming. I've always wanted to watch Booksmart, which was uh, Olivia Wilde's first film and received such great reviews. It, it always seemed, you know, kind of up my alley. I haven't had the chance to watch it yet. But so it put her on the map, uh, at least for me as a filmmaker that I was interested in in watching. And then Don't Worry Darling came about. Um, we are well-documented Florence Pugh fans. So I was thinking, all right, you've got Chris Pine, you've got um, Gemma Chan, you've got Harry Styles, more on him later. And mm-hmm. so you think, okay, this looks interesting. Um, I, I'd seen a bunch of stills and teaser trailers. So I knew that it was going to be a very, very beautiful film. And it gave, I think the trailers did a good job actually, because they gave just enough away for you to think, mm, this this is intriguing. This seems kind of horror inflected, but not outright horror. It just looks good. So I came in with relatively high expectations. The backstage drama then kind of coloured it further, infused it with a lot of curiosity. And that's how I arrived at Don't Worry Darling. I think that overall, it's not... um, 
I, I left it feeling very intrigued, but also fundamentally dissatisfied in a way that I'm struggling to put a finger on. Because there are some interesting ideas that it throws up. Um, there are some really good performances. But you're right, you know, the, the stuff that the plot holes are so big that they threaten to take the whole movie down with them, I feel. Yeah, um, it's also very much like a, a wannabe Black Mirror um, it's a wannabe a lot of things. Like you can see that it's it's being inspired by a lot of other properties and movies and TV shows before it. Um, I don't even know how much we can say about the story or the plot without giving anything away because it's such a it's such a tight mystery, right? Even the the trailers don't do a good job of. They, I mean, they do a good job of hiding what they're supposed to hide, but you don't exactly know what they're talking about or where the story is going. Um, so in that sense, like I I love the atmosphere building. You know, I, I thought it was like such a weird tense vibe around it. Um, but yeah, it's. I feel like throughout, like when I think about it again. Um, after watching it, like like just being removed from it, I feel like the movie is trying to copycat so many other things. And we can't even say what other things because then we would give away what the movie is about. But it's it's a bit obvious and kind of easy to see la, once you make the comparisons. Like you can tie the strings quite easily um, and you can't even dispute it because, you know, it is drawing so much from those other things. What I will say is that the story, such as it is... Um, focuses on a husband and wife who are part of a community in what looks to be in the middle of the desert. The men all work in the same place and they are all doing mysterious work that their wives have been explicitly told not to ask about. They also seem like they're working in silos and they're not super clear about who what everybody else does. The point is, mega secret project, not sure what's going on. Um, but when they come home, they come home to really idyllic a really idyllic mid-century home. There's a meal on the table. There's a beautiful wife waiting for you with your after-work drinks. And everything seems ideal, except Alice, um, played by Florence Pugh, starts to have nigglings and questions, especially after um, a friend of hers also starts to experience difficulties. And But those questions aren't received well, right? I, I think that, that kind yeah. of sets it up. Yes, yes. Um, so the thing is, right, you you, uh, you said her name is Alice. Um, and the movie does that thing, right, where it's, it's very on the nose. Mm. Um, a lot of it is very tacky, very cheesy. The fact that her name is Alice. Um, is she in when, a wonderland? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like big, huge question mark. Um, but in, so, and you also mentioned uh, Booksmart. I, I love Booksmart. I, I, the movie is so good. Um, I like Olivia Wilde as a director. But I didn't assume that she had this in her um, because a lot of it, like despite what we're saying, a lot of it is really good filmmaking to me, at least. Um, like I mentioned, the atmosphere, the atmosphere building is so good. Uh, the tense vibe, the weird vibes around it. Some um, of the shots the, are amazing. The shots are amazing. Um, and they also get to sell you on this whole like quote unquote Nirvana situation that they're in pretty well. It's creepy, but the internal logic of the film in that sense seems to work in terms of like a bunch of people in the 50s or whenever this is choosing to live their best life in this oasis town in the middle of nowhere. So those things all check out and they all track. Um, and if not for anything else, I just love the way it looks like. And I don't think Olivia Wilde has done anything that's even close to this in terms of like scope and size and cinematography and even um, star power. I want to say this early uh, before we, we forget as we move on to talking about other things. But the production design is such 
a standout, stellar part of the film. Like without mm-hmm. the production design, without the the houses looking the way they do, without the people looking the way they do, without the strange idiosyncrasies that exist, it wouldn't clue you in, it wouldn't be simultaneously so seductive. And it is seductive, right? Because um, if you are a fan of this sort of aesthetic and theme, then being a part of Don't Worry Darling's mid-century madness is really something. Um, But there are elements in it that make you think, hold on, why do you sound like that? And and what is that thing doing there? And so I just wanted to highlight Kate Byron's work because she was the production designer. And without her, I, I don't think that the movie would look quite as good as it does. Um, you mentioned cinematography as well. And that was done by Matthew Libatik. And I, I just wanted to highlight it early on because I think later we're going to be talking about Olivia Wilde's direction in more detail. But truly, half of what makes the movie as good as it is, and it is good in parts, um, really comes down to to the work of those people, I think. Oh, for sure. Like 100%. Um, which is a bit of a shame, because the movie, the story and the plot don't do those things um, <sighs> any justice. It's right? hard to explain why also. I, it, it's it, super hard to explain. It's a division of story. I think that the mm. the first part of the movie sets up a film and a story that the second half just can't live up to. Yeah, and, and it's also not their job, like the job of the cinematographer or the production designer. It's not their job to do the world building, right? Because mm. their work is purely physical um, and you need someone to tell their stories. I don't think the movie does a good enough job at building that world. Like it's a bunch of different things. Actually, I think my biggest problem with the movie is that I feel like the movie was engineered in reverse. Um, Like they had this ending in mind and they wanted, they knew where they wanted to go. Um, And then they built the whole movie backwards to serve that ending. Because it feels like a lot of what we see was designed to hide the last few minutes of the film. Um, and, And I think like that's why the movie sort of feels like a few different concepts put into one template because it's drawing from so many things, which... I guess it's fine. I I mean, like serving the ending is fine. But I think the problem here is that the ending could have been a number of different things and all of them would have either worked or they might have worked better than the ending that we got, which is different to the the black mirrors of the of the world. So serving the ending and serving the story are in many ways you know similar, right? They're on the same spectrum of things. And what it comes down to for me is that I'm perfectly fine to talk even now, 12 years after the fact, about whether or not the top stops spinning. Like, I'm happy to have that conversation. You know, it's fine. We, we can talk about it. But I think in order to sustain that degree of, of conversation and that degree of um, analysis into the film, the text has to give you everything. It must be there in the text. So I might not have seen it on the first go or even the second, but... In the end, the film has to answer or be able to answer those questions. There have to be enough facts for you to point to within the film and say, no, look, because this happened, ergo, um, she is, in fact, uh, whatever. You know, you, you should be able to point to things. But Don't Worry Darling instead um, sets up two-thirds, I think, of the film in, in a very slow, methodical, not, not slow, but a methodical world-building, tension-building kind of way. And at the end, it goes, here's the explanation. We're good? Okay, the end. And so you're left thinking, but hold on. Um, I mean, in, when you and I have had discussions about this, we've both thrown up questions that the other person simply can't answer. Yeah, which when you compare it to a lot of other movies, you can answer, which I yeah. think that's the that's the biggest thing. It's so... 
the movie is so desperate to be remembered for that ending. And I think we've seen like historically with other movies and other TV shows that when that happens, it doesn't work. Like at the end of the day, people don't actually latch on to the thing that you want them to latch on to. Because if you, if you like really think about it, right, what other part of the movie works as well? You know, there's not there's not much like it's not a movie that I would ever watch again. And I mm. think that's a that's a telling that's a sign. That's a sign. Having said that, um, and and we're we're about to take a break, but I just wanted to throw this out there because we've both been sounding pretty critical. But I don't think it's as bad as people have said it is. Oh, not not at all. Yeah, <laughs> not at all. I felt like we were starting to make it sound like an impact was. So yeah, it isn't. It's absolutely not as bad as the critical pannings would have you think. It just has issues that I think we're trying to get at. Uh, we're talking today about Don't Worry Darling, mired in controversy. Um, so we're talking about the actual experience, though, of watching the film and want to hear from you. I mean, have you seen it yet? Did you like it? Have you been following along on all the twists and turns of the publicity tour? It's actually over, but you know, still. Um, let us know. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What are you doing at the Victory Project? You know what I do, Alice. I'm a technical engineer. The development of progressive materials? You know what does that even mean? What does that even mean? You know we can't Come talk on, about this. Come on, what does it mean? Do you even know what Frank is actually it's doing? It's classified. We're not even allowed to discuss our jobs with other departments. You know that. I'm part of something important, Alice. This mission, what Frank's doing, it matters. I know that, baby, but you're not listening no, to me. No, not everyone gets this opportunity. And if you keep talking like this, you're going to put it all at risk. You're worried about a demotion? Alice, our life together, this, we could lose this. BFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn and Arvin. And together we are reviewing Don't Worry Darling, directed by Olivia Wilde, written by Katie Silberman, and starring, uh, as you just heard there, among other people, Florence Pugh and Harry Styles. Okay, I think the time has come that we need to talk about Harry Styles. Um, because part of the, the big thing around the film, the drama I alluded to earlier, was that Initially, Shia LaBeouf was cast as his character and then through a variety of what I will gently call shenanigans, uh, ended up not doing the role. And that's how we have Harry Styles, um, who I think, unfortunately for him, he might he might be a good actor in another role. Um, other films might suit him better. But in this film, he is blown off the screen every time he shares it with the person who is his screen partner most of the time, and that is Florence Pugh. Which is so unfortunate for him. It's constant. <laughs> like, I can't even see him. It's like he's not there. You can't. Um, I don't, like, so personally, I don't hate Harry Styles, the, the actor, as much as most people. Uh, but Florence Pugh is such a force that she's acting circles around him, and you can tell. That's the worst part. I think you can tell. And you can tell that he can tell. You can tell that he can tell yeah. that he's uncomfortable there in that spot. Which, again, to be fair, she's an actor and he was Olivia Wilde's boyfriend at the time. So, you know, there's like no surprises there. But um, I think it was even worse for me when I found out that Shia LaBeouf was supposed to be in the role. Um, say what you want about Shia LaBeouf in his personal life as a, as, as, a, as a human being. But he's a really good actor. As an actor, I've always liked Shia LaBeouf. And I think like if it was him in the role, he would have been able to match Florence Pugh's uh, energy and the sort of like the sort of 
intensity that she brought uh, to the to the role. I think Shia LaBeouf would have been perfect. But Harry Styles, uh, just like wrong place, wrong time, just doing the the wrong things. And you cannot unsee. You cannot unsee and you cannot forgive. I think that's the worst part. Because aside from the, the trappings of the movie and the, the twist or whatever it is that you want to call it, right? Aside from the central mystery of the movie, the other thing that's supposed to keep you going is that it's a love story, is that you you have to believe in the central romance between Florence Pugh and Harry Styles. And so you do need a formidable actor because you have a formidable actor in the form of Florence Pugh. So she needs to share the screen with someone. And I mean... It's also tough partly because a lot of the other performances are really rather good. I mean, uh, Olivia Wilde's pretty good. Um, Chris Pine is great. Uh, Gemma Chan is fun to watch, albeit strange. But I think she's strange on purpose. Uh, Nick Kroll is quite fun to watch. So you have people who all know what movie they're in. And then you have Harry Styles. And because the movie... I think we've made it quite clear that wants to be deep. Um, it also therefore needs performances that can really sustain that. Yeah. Um, also, I kind of felt like you mentioned Chris Pine. Uh, did you get the Jordan Peterson comp when you saw Chris Pine? Yes. Because Olivia Wilde, you, you saw that. I like did, you yeah. Saw the, the, she went out of her way to say again and again that she was molding this character after Jordan Peterson. Um, ah, so I got that only because um, aside from everything else, he's got this weird radio show that comes on every day at three. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, that, that gave me Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan vibes. Oh, that, which is perfect, right? Mm. Because I, I think that those are the people that she was she was molding these these characters after. Um, the John Peterson's uh, response to that on Piers Morgan, I think he was on, is that he literally broke down and started crying at the names that he was being called and stuff. So it, it the whole thing is messy, but it just made me think about there is a sort of anger and bitterness at the core of this movie, which I think really does a disservice to the movie because I don't mind like watching movies with messages and this movie clearly has one about gender dynamics and equality and and oppression. Um, But I feel like after the halfway mark, it came out a bit bitter and angry and a bit too personal. So as an audience member, I think like the best movies with those messages are the ones that prioritize the story first and then the agenda or the messaging second. This one, I feel like it did it the other way around. Um, for the first half, it, it went well and it was like well thought out. And then it becomes like weirdly preachy by the, the third act. Um, and then I was like, ooh, is this like Olivia Wilde telling us her personal like, you know, thoughts? Or is it like her as a director making a good movie, you know? So I I get what you're saying about films with messages. Um, and I think with this one, my main thing is that it wasn't argued well. Um mm. The, the stuff you're pointing out about gender dynamics and, and what it means to be in a relationship with somebody who is, quote unquote, the breadwinner, um, all that kind of stuff, at the beginning, it's so uncomfortable, right? Uh, when, when they first start laying it out, um, it, it does a great job of making you feel that creeping discomfort of what am I watching? Is, is this... Yeah. You know, is this what I want the world to be? Because like I keep saying, the world itself is quite seductive. Um, So what is this exactly? But by the end, it's mostly because it was rushed. I rarely ask for films to be longer. And I'm not even sure that I think this one should be longer. It was already um, two hours. I just think that 
the pacing of the movie and the way in which it chose to lay its cards out, the pace at which it laid its cards on the table was wrong. I think that the bitter message that you're talking about would have actually worked just fine if it had been told or communicated in a way that that gave you time to think about it and gave you time to sit in that discomfort and, and come up with a, a feeling rather than leave you with not questions about the message, but questions about the the logic of the movie. Yeah, and and I think questioning the logic of the movie is why the movie doesn't have as many think pieces that it would like to have. Mm. Um, because it, you know, it's like it's obviously engineered to you know have a bunch of things come out on a bunch of different websites, uh, YouTube video essays, you know, people dissecting it, talking about the messages, which. I, I haven't seen, honestly. I, I don't think it had that kind of legs. Uh, it bombed on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at 38%. Uh, so sadly, I think no one cared to dissect it or talk about it because of all those things. It, it prioritizes like the mystery first and then all of a sudden it prioritizes the aesthetics and the cinematography. All of a sudden it's the performances, but never like one thing. So it's kind of scramble, kind of all over the place, which I don't know. For me, it's kind of sad love because there is stuff to talk about. Um, I think there's stuff in the movie. Um, but again, like we've said, I think it's just a bit too desperate to look clever or to be shocking um, or to be forcefully thought provoking. And like historically, we've seen that those movies just annoy people more than get them talking or, or doing anything else or doing what it's supposed to do in the first place. I think the main feeling is just that it's a waste, which which is a pity because it had a yeah. lot of potential. Um, we're talking today about Don't Worry Darling, directed by Olivia Wilde. Uh, let us know, have you seen it yet? Do you plan to... Have you been following along on um, all the crazy twists and turns? Um, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.